Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Monday, June 21st, the longest day of the year. And did you see this piece today in the New York Times? Yes, I did. I mean, I, it looked very familiar to me, Jim. Because it I... did the same <laughs> thing to me. It's one of these things where it's like, didn't Drew tell the story of Hellfire? The issues with that? And... I was trying to chase down when you did that piece so we could talk about it. But in the meantime, I came across this story that you did for Collider in last year about the early, early auditions for Hunchback. And well, let's start with Meatloaf. Really? Yes. Well, it made me think, you know, we just lost Jim Steinman. And I've always thought after hearing about Meatloaf, Mm -hmm. what it would have been like to have a Meatloaf Jim Steinman Disney animated movie. I mean, can you imagine that, Jim? Holy cow. (laughs) But they did come to him without there, right? Yes, they came to him. Gary Trosdale said that he read for it. He was Mm -hmm. almost cast. Mm -hmm. But I guess talks broke down before they put pen to paper. But before we get the wonderful... Tom Hulse. And he did such an amazing job with Quasi. In between Meatloaf and and Tom Hulse, we had somebody else. Can you please talk about that? Yeah. So uh, I guess this story is recounted in the New York Times. I have not had a chance to read that one yet. There's a lot of hunchback material out there today. Mm -hmm. So apparently there was a casting session in New York and Mandy Patinkin came there and it was it was Alan, Stephen Schwartz and Kirk and Gary, Mm -hmm. the directors. And he had a piano and he had his own accompanist and he rearranged the entire song. And this is with with Alan Minken and Stephen Schwartz in the room. And so so they play this new version. Mm -hmm. And according to Gary Truesdale, he told me, Kirk and I were like, huh, you could see Alan and Steven just turning red and levitating like the room behind them was getting dark. And when he finished with the song, I can't remember who it was, but almost immediately they said, Kirk and Gary, do you want to step outside? And we immediately said, OK. Oh. Kirk Wise said we could hear an animated discussion happening behind the door. And then Mandy Patinkin came back out ostensibly to work with us mm-hmm. on a little bit of the dialogue. He mm-hmm. was going to read a dialogue scene because he hadn't yet for the audition. And they were supposed to we were supposed to give him feedback and talk about the character. Mm-hmm. He was very gracious with us and he's talking with us and nodding and gets a little bit intense. Then in mid-sentence, Gary and I are talking and at one point Mandy goes, guys, I'm really sorry. I can't do this. And he turns on his heel and he goes back into the room shuts the door. That's when the fireworks started. The walls shook. So, yeah, Gary Teresa said the engineer and the casting director came out into the hall with us and they were like, oh my God, oh my God. Gary continued and said, Mandy chewed out Steven so bad and Steven was so pissed that he Mm -hmm. got up and left. Steven then gets on the elevator and he's gone. And then Alan goes in to talk him off the ledge. Mm -hmm. So Alan puts on his coat and his scarf and he's out of there. So now we've lost Mandy, we've lost Alan, and we've lost Steven. We're sitting there in this smoking crater. Uh, Gary said, we have since called the incident the Patinkin incident. Many drawings were made on, on the subject after the fact, said Wise. So there you go, Jim. I have written about this film 
dozens of times, and I have never heard this story. And at Mota Point, I don't understand how this got by me last summer. It, it was part of a long interview I did with them on video. It was a Collider Connected. It was about an hour-long chat, okay. and it is really fun if you want to look look that up on YouTube. Um Kirk and Gary, Jim, you know, you're, you've talked to them a number of times throughout the years and, uh, he, they're just amazing people and they're so generous at, with their time mm-hmm. and it's a great movie. How do you, how do you feel about the hunchback all these years later? Uh, no, I still think it's a high water mark for a road that Disney almost went down. I would argue that if you look at what Kirk and Gary did after Beauty and the Beast, when they, they did Hunchback and then they did Atlantis, Atlantis really got hobbled by what was going on inside of Disney animation at that time. You know, you had sort of that Oklahoma land rush after Lion King where everybody saw how much money you could make in animation and suddenly everybody wanted to be in that wing of the building and suddenly everybody wanted to have their hands on movies and you got some really strange choices and there's that famous story about the pitch after Schumacher had left to go run Disney theatrical in New York. And they were pitching that Kirk and Gary and Don Hahn were like, you know, we, we want to make a Ray Harryhausen movie. And Peter Schneider goes, who's Ray Harryhausen? And it's just sort of like, oh, come on. You're now in charge of animation. You, you can't actually know the field you're in. When you think of all the work that Mike Mignola did for that movie, yeah. how it was going to be much more in the style of Raiders with Nazis. And there's a genuinely great movie there that just got nibbled to death by ducks. And that's what Disney animation was like during that period. Nothing like we have today where you have people who actually know and love and respect animation. Yeah. Hard left turn right at the top of the show. Sorry about that. <laughs> we're being topical, Jim. We're being topical. You there know, we we're go. We're celebrating the, the anniversary. So, yeah. This is true. Speaking of things I was celebrating, it's the day after Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I have to say, I'm a pain in the ass to shop for. I'm in my 60s. I own everything I already need. I don't need any more ties. I don't need any more tools. So my poor daughter, Alice, when it comes to birthdays, Christmas, and Father's Day, you know, she's always in this it's kind of tough situation when it comes to getting gifts for me. So we established a pact a couple of years ago where it's the effect of I would actually tell her, you know, what I wanted. And in turn, she'd do the exact same thing for me. So... I mentioned this year that what I would really like to get my hands on is Dave Bossert's brand new book came out of November last year, the 3D Disneyland, like you've never seen it before. Have you seen this book, Drew? I've seen it. I don't have it yet because it is still a little pricey. So I appreciate you raking Alice over the coals for that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I I did set a ceiling, you know, that that's a thing. I'm I'm not ridiculously greedy, but this is a collection of Ted Kersey's 3D photos that he took at Disneyland Park in the 1950s and the 1980s. And even comes with a set of the old 3D glasses with the red and blue lens. And very thoughtful of my daughter to get that. And, and thank you for listening to Dad. And that's the one to get. Mind you, of course, it probably would have been easier to chase out a present for me if the Disney stores weren't closing all over the country. In fact, your local Disney store, the very first Disney store is closing? Yeah, apparently it says it says on or before July 14th, which, you know, Jim, that I love a little bit bit of unpredictability when it comes to my <laughs> retail shopping. 
Wow. But yeah, I mean, that was that was the first. And I'm sure you remember when it took up that whole um, kind of like corner area. I was also very sad to hear that the one that I grew up going mm-hmm. to, which was in the North Star Mall in San Antonio, Texas, is also mm-hmm. shuttering. And that one was across the hall from a Warner Brothers store. So there was a real, oh, you know, Hatfields you, and McCoys you, dynamic there, Jim. Oh, <laughs> killing me. I still remember, uh, you know, when the the Warner Brothers store and the Disney store were both on Fifth Avenue. Do you remember when the Hercules electrical parade, you know, rolled through the streets of New York? Every other building along the parade route. It came at 42nd Street and then headed up 5th. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I I remember calling you. I did a story about that parade. Yes, and how they they refused. Right, the Warner Brothers store refused to turn its lights off. <laughs> so you know, all, every other storefront is dark, and you can see the floats coming. But Warner's is. Yeah, I, I think they went out and bought even more lights. You know, just that they just refused <laughs> to cooperate. But your local Disney store is the one at, at the Glendale Galleria, which again they deliberately picked that for the first location because it was like catty corner from disney corporate headquarters and because imagineering really wrote herd on the design of the first store right yeah i didn't know that there were other options but you were you, i think we were pre-gaming and you said that there were yes different concepts they were yes working on. in fact tell you what folks on the second half of today's show we'll get in, into more depth about what those other concepts were but first we got to get to the news and the news portion of today's fine tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. And speaking of traveling, Drew, when on our last show, you, Katie, and Nova the Wonder Dog were headed out to Palm Springs, which I saw just this past weekend. It matched the all-time highest temperature out there, 123 degrees. But you weren't out there for when it was set that high, right? You were, were there for the relatively brief. No, we, we left, I think, the... Yeah, yeah, the day before we left, uh, mm. I'm sure... I think it was 107 at oh. 9 a.m., oh. something like that. So it was pretty cool, Jim. You know, it's sort of sweater, sweater weather. So, oh. yeah, <laughs> we... We, you know, just ran back and forth from the pool to the mm-hmm. hotel room, to the pool, uh, to dinner. That was basically the entire trip. But it was it was nice to have a few days off and a few days away from you. You know, that was really the, the main thing. Nancy was thinking the very same thing. <laughs> We've actually been talking about going someplace that neither of us have ever been to. And she has this fascination now with Lake Tahoe. Well, let me know if you go. We would we would meet you out there. Okay. That's a great Great place. Is great it? Spot. Is it? Yeah. I, I don't know from yeah. Lake Tahoe. I hear the water is beautifully clear and it's out in the woods. And the thing is, I'm looking out the window at woods and it's like, oh, yeah, great, more trees. <laughs> okay. We mentioned yesterday was Father's Day. It was also Global Rick and Morty Day, or so Twitter told me yesterday. And that was because last night at 11 o'clock, the fifth season of this acclaimed animated series debuted on Adult Swim. Did you get to watch it? I haven't watched it yet. I couldn't stay awake until 11 o'clock last night, Jim. That is really the sad truth. It was 11, and then I was, I have to do this. I have to do my homework. You know, I promised Drew, and I DVR'd it. So, you know, (laughs) after we record tonight, I will take a look. But that said, I did do my homework in regard to Wish Dragon, which you had said so many nice things about. We'll say I was kind of intrigued by 
how many people were involved in the production of that thing. The, the credits go on for like 10 minutes. It's produced by Columbia Pictures and Sony Pictures Animation, and then we get the Beijing Sparkle Roll Media Corporation, the Tencent Pictures, Base Film FX, Flagship Entertainment Group, Boss Collaboration, and finally, again, you know, those people who are known for, for wonderful filmmaking, the Cultural Investment Holdings Group. I will say, though, with that many companies involved, you don't get a sense of that there's too many cooks in the kitchen. It's a wonderful story. I particularly loved the animation that was done for the title character, and John Cho did an amazing job with the voice work of it. And we've talked about Over the Moon. That was also on Netflix, right? Yeah, yeah. And Everest, which DreamWorks did with Pearl Studios over there. But I feel like with this one, it's the first time that a kind of East-West production has really gotten the mix right. It's authentic to the setting and the world, but the story is that much more accessible. But I think, again, a lot of the appeal is carried on the character of the Wish Dragon, who I think you said it, it, it's it kind of genie Aladdin-esque. But he's a lot grumpier. He is, he is. and I, I, I think loved. Well, and more to the point, I think that's one of the reasons I took him into my heart grumpy older person. That said, though, you pointed out Gallery Nucleus is actually doing a Wish Dragon. It's a virtual event, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you can actually go into the gallery now, and I think they have some pieces of uh, production art up on the walls. And Ben Zhu, who runs Gallery Mm -hmm. Nucleus, who is a a close friend of mine, Mm -hmm. he actually contributed to the pre-production of this movie. So he actually has artwork in the movie. And artwork, you know, fellow fellow animators and artists having mm-hmm. their artwork up in his gallery, mm-hmm. which is very cool. And there is a Wish Dragon pen, which is absolutely adorable, Jim, and I think you need immediately. Seriously, you mentioned that. I, I went to the site, and it's like, I did not need to see that. It is. It's ridiculously cute. Also, to be honest, the, the limited edition prints they're selling are very tempting. In fact, they're pre-order now and you they're going to be signed by the creative team. But if you got some time, go over to the Gallery Nucleus site because they have about 30 or 40 pieces of art up on the site right now from Wish Dragon. And hell, half of that stuff is stuff that I would I would hang on a wall. Again, a great looking film. I and I wish there was a Wish Dragon Art of Wish Dragon book, but I guess that didn't happen. So Oh, another thing I didn't watch last night was the brand new episode of Atuka and Birdie that that ran immediately after the season five premiere of Rick and Morty. However, if you, you want to get a taste of what this show, which, okay, this was the show that debuted on Netflix. They had one season there. They opted not to renew this. And this is from Michael Eisner's production company, right? The, the folks who did yeah. BoJack? yeah. And then I want to say six or eight months after it got canceled by Netflix, Adult Swim announced it was picking it up. And they're making a heroic effort to give this new season of Tuca and Birdie as big a chance as possible. Because the day after the first episode dropped, and this was last weekend, they made the whole show available on YouTube. In fact, if you type in Bird Mechanic... You can watch that episode. There are also some really cool billboards on Sunset Boulevard. Are they really? For anyone who lives in L.A., yeah, if you drive down Sunset, there are some really cool billboards sort of staggered with the characters. Um, 
you know, giant size sort of popping off the billboard. Really cool old school Sunset Boulevard stuff. So check it out. Did we see those as we were driving to the El Cap? No, but I I did yeah, I did go to the El Cap yesterday for mm. a rare I, th- I mean the guy introducing it said it was the only theater in the world that was showing Luca. So, yeah, that was that Are was you pretty interesting. Kidding? Really? Yeah. Thanks to the folks at Pixar, we got early access to a screener and got to talk with the filmmakers. But how did it play on a big screen versus at home? I loved it. I mm. noticed a lot more of the little details. There's things about the geography of, you know, where Luca is versus the island mm-hmm. versus the village that became much more apparent. And mm-hmm. then you just kind of soak up these little details. I mean, it's such a beautiful film mm-hmm. and it feels so kind of handcrafted in a way. And uh, my buddy Jermaine did an interview with Enrico, which is obviously not as good as the one you and I did, Jim, but... <laughs> Enrico talks about how, you know, there was a much bigger climax where there was a giant kraken that was attacking the the city and all of this stuff. And Mm -hmm. it really made me appreciate how small and intimate and Mm -hmm. just beautifully rendered Luca is. I mean, the people that complain about the mythology of the underwater Mm -hmm. realm being too thin is like, please get a life. You know, just take it for what it is. It's a beautiful allegory. Well, now, you know, that was my takeaway, Jim. Of taking it for what it is. This past Friday, uh, the folks over at AV Club, uh, as part of their film club podcast, posted a new show with a rather clickbaity title. It's like, Why Isn't Pixar as Good as It Used to Be? Which for me is, you know, kind of from that, when did you stop beating your wife school of journalism? But that said, they did bring up a couple of interesting points. I mean, if you think about it, since 2011 or thereabouts, we've had six Pixar sequels, Cars 2, Monsters University, Finding Dory, Cars 3, Incredibles 2, and Toy Story 4. But we've also had eight Pixar originals. I mean, we had... Brave and Inside Out and The Good Dinosaur and Coco Onward, Soul and Luca. And I would argue that at least two of those films, uh, Inside Out and Coco, could stand toe-to-toe with, you know, Pixar's very best. Yes. And, you know, also they do touch on the whole Lasseter being gone since November of 2017 and... Luca technically started staffing up in, in 2016. In fact, I, I found a reference to, I guess it's a production designer, Daniela Stravellen. She got hired to work on this as far back as 2016. Uh, yeah, I think Lightyear is the last Lassiter greenlit project. Really? Okay. Yeah, so there actually has not been a Pete Doctor shepherded project announced yet. Not so, even Red? Red yeah, isn't- it's kind of interesting. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. Okay, interesting. But what's your take here? Is is this valid at all, or is this really kind of... No. Okay. <laughs> no, Jim, I thought that was... I, especially, I actually listened to it today, because okay. I hadn't listened to it when you and I were talking about this episode, and now I have, and now mm. I'm even more annoyed. Mm. Because, yeah, I mean, what's interesting about the podcast, and mm. I can just recap it now, so none of you actually have to listen to it, because mm. it really is pretty awful is that they were saying that that the kind of creative push and pull Mm -hmm. of some of these productions led them to having a less than stellar outcome and Mm -hmm. they cite the good dinosaur 
as having this like dissonant, like the themes of the movie and then the way the movie looks are very different. And mm-hmm. I just thought uh, it was very stupid because as you and I know, Jim, mm-hmm. every single one of these movies has giant problems and, you know, mm-hmm. things that have to be rearranged or jettisoned altogether or completely redone. I mean, Soul took place in a Marriott conference room <laughs> at one point and look at where it ended up, you know? As I just said, Luca had a giant Kraken mm-hmm. in it. You know, all these things had go through their journey and end up where they're supposed to end up. Mm-hmm. And I really like a lot of those sequels that you rattled off. I mm-hmm. really love. I love Monsters University. I think it's very underrated. Um, there's things about Incredibles 2 that I adore. And I mm-hmm. am, a, as you know, Jim, a big champion of Toy Story 4. And I also think Soul and Luca will rise up in time to be seen as as one of the Pixar classics. I think the thing with Soul and Luca, because they debuted on Disney Plus, you kind of have to look at those like, say, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, the television special, because it's. I think it's one of those things where you were among the lucky few. You got to see Luca on the big screen in the old cap. I would love to do that. But the way I experienced Soul was at home on our flat screen. Likewise, Luca. And I think the television rules have to apply. It's going to take lots of repeat viewings to sort of, to make that affection happen. I mean, that's like trying to explain to my daughter about why baby boomers have the relationship they do with the wizard of Oz. Cause like in her world, I mean, the wizard of Oz was on VHS and it, it seemed to be on Turner every five minutes. And what is the deal? Why are you guys so excited about the Wizard of Oz? And it's like, it was only on once a year. It was the film that in the time when people went from owning black and white televisions to having color televisions, it's like the fact that, did did you watch it? Did you watch the moment where it changed the color? And it's like, well, no, we have a black and white television. People's relationship with that movie is different, or at least people my age, is because they watch it on television. And I feel like... That's the thing with Luca and Soul. I think I want to sort of put a pin in Luca and Soul and check back in five years to the effect, well, what do you think of that? It's like, oh, geez, we watch it all the time here at the house. Right. Did you buy the Blu-ray, the Soul Blu-ray? I have not yet. I'm I'm really that much more tempted by the Rhea DVD, but that's largely because Us Again, the wonderful short. Mm-hmm. But again, now I can watch that on Disney+. Plus. So, oh, speaking of Disney+, Plus, uh, we should talk about uh, the news that came down on the heels of Loki doing so well on its debut. And that one, Disney deliberately opened on Wednesday rather than Friday. And so now there's all this stuff that's moving to Wednesday premieres. That includes Monsters at Work, but... That was supposed to debut on Friday, July 2nd, and now uh, it's pushed back to Wednesday, July 7th. We also have Chippendale Park Life. Ooh, uh, did you did you see the title sequence for that? Yes, I love it. You, Jim, you know I love Chippendale's chaotic energy <laughs> and their ability to transform into different characters and get dressed up as all sorts of bats or old-timey film directors or whatever at the parks. So I am very into park life. I can't wait. I can't wait for the Lonely Island movie. You know, I can't. There we go. All things Chippendale, I am very much here for. Drew is being quite sincere here, folks. Just this morning, I got up, and there was a a photo on my phone of, where did we take this picture of Chippendale? I didn't take the photo. I found it on 
Twitter. I don't mm-hmm. I don't even know what what were they even dressed up as. They're like Nordic or something or I don't know. They're in Epcot somewhere and they look great. Yeah, they look great, but I have no <laughs> clue. But okay. So Park Life uh, got its opening pushback from Friday, July 23rd to Wednesday, July 28th. Also, the next batch of the wonderful world of Mickey Mouse shorts. I guess what this is season two, right? Yeah, they say it's the second batch okay. on yeah. the website. Yeah. Okay, but this one actually got its launch date moved up. Uh, it went from Friday, July 30th to Wednesday, July 28th. Conversely, the second season of Short Circuit, and those are those uh, experimental shorts from Walt Disney Animation Studios, uh, as opposed to the Pixar ones or Spark Shorts, am I getting that right? Spark Shorts, yeah. But yeah, that one went from a Friday, July 30th opening to Wednesday, August 4th. As long as we're making you folks, mark up your calendar here. Season two of Central Park from a friend of the show, uh, Josh Gad. That begins on Apple TV later this week, this Friday, June 25th. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Cannot wait. Speaking of which, poor Josh. Late last week, he was on Kelly and Ryan doing the usual publicity tour. But the problem is that Josh is in Australia making a movie. So Kelly and Ryan is nine o'clock in the morning, New York time. And here's poor Josh at 11 o'clock p.m. Australia time with two eyes that look like dinner plates trying to, to have the coherent interview and, and properly launch season two of, of Central Park. And uh, I just felt for the poor guy. Well, the Beauty and the Beast show got a green light, Jim, so don't feel too bad for him. I was intrigued by that. He, Luke Evans, and I'm blanking the female character they've added, but this begins shooting in 2022, or is it debuting? In 2022. No, I think it's shooting in 22. Yeah. Okay. We'll have to just have Josh back on to tell us all about it. Okay. Yeah. Here's open. Here's open. Other things that sort of bubble up in the last week to 10 days. uh, We got a teaser for DC League of Super Pets. That doesn't open until... Oh, well, another thing from uh, in 2022. That's hitting theaters in May 20th of that year. Uh, We got a, a final trailer for Boss Baby. That... In theaters and on Peacock, uh, starting on July 2nd. And then we got the first real trailer for DreamWorks, Troll Hunters, Rise of the Titans from Guillermo del Toro. What did you think of that? I was very into it. You mm-hmm. know, they had, they'd always hyped that, that season of Wizards as being the thing that really brought everything together. And mm-hmm. you and I both know, since we watched it, that that didn't actually happen. So it looks like this movie will actually... Uh, bring it all to a head in a really nice way. And with all those Guillermo del Toro flourishes, we've come to know and love like a giant monster attacking a city. (laughs) So, yes. According to the trailer, this is going to debut on Netflix Wednesday, July 21st. And supposedly one of the reasons Disney moved its original series debuts to Wednesday was to try to put some distance between Netflix schedule and Disney schedule. But Netflix is doing some other things that, frankly, as, as somebody who spends way too much time talking and thinking about the Walt Disney Company, are intriguing. Did Did you see the launch of the Netflix shop? Yeah, I think the Netflix shop kind of sucks, but yeah, go ahead and talk <laughs> about it. That may be a little 
Extreme, folks. <laughs> the Netflix shop is its a new way for fans to connect their favorite stories. And that the way the Netflix shop is supposed to work is that it will drop exclusive, limited edition, carefully selected, high-quality apparel and lifestyle products tied to our shows and brand on a regular basis. So again, it's an exclusive, narrowly targeted lines of merch that are aimed at a specific subset of Netflix viewers, which that's not at all how the Disney stores used to work. They were ambassadors to the park. They were promoted the films. They had merch that was affordable for all customers. And, and now we've got them closing in Canada, in, in North America. And in a moment, Drew and I will talk about why. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before we get started talking about the Disney stories, Drew dug up a few more stories that we, we really need to talk about here. Just a day or so ago, Hotel Transylvania Transformania shifted its release date from July 23rd of this summer to October 1st, which puts it the fourth film in the Hotel Transylvania series head-to-head with Adam's Family 2. The fourth and final film, Jim. The fourth and final film. Yeah. So, you know, we need to we need to talk about this with the with the level of importance that the okay. fourth and final tra- Hotel Transylvania deserves. So. Okay, I admire your enthusiasm. Now, you had pointed <laughs> out that you believe what was going on here is that weekend before last we had Spirited Untamed come out and that was the lowest grossing DreamWorks animation film to be released theatrically in the history of the company, right? Yeah, I mean, listen, we we said that we would do press for this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that because nobody from the movie came on our show, it did poorly, Jim, but I'm also not not going to say that. So yeah, oh. I think there is a correlation there. I'm just going to say. And Drew Taylor making more and more friends every day, folks. <laughs> Okay, on the other hand, <laughs> just this past weekend, we had Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway, come out, and that also seriously underperformed. So you were suggesting that those two films and what that said about what's going on with the family audience, that they're, maybe they're not ready to come back to theaters, that that kind of played into the, the Hotel Transylvania move decision? Yeah, it seems like that, you know, because Peter Rabbit is a co-production of Sony Pictures mm-hmm. Image Works, which is the one of the animation units at Sony. So I'm sure there were, I am can almost guarantee there was a correlation between that. But okay. 
You know, at Luca yesterday, there were a lot of families there. I mean, it wasn't sold out and there were social distancing uh, procedures put in place. It was every other row. Uh, families were, you know, separated by a few seats. But there were a lot of families there. They were consuming a lot of popcorn. They were buying plush of the cat from the uh, gift shop. So they were literally, they were sitting there with the cat in the theater. Um, so, you know... Maybe it just worked on that kind of small scale specialty mm -hmm. kind of thing and just okay. isn't connecting like they want in the big, big uh, screen. But whenever Hotel Transylvania comes out, you know, that that Jim and I will be there so excited to to watch the latest installment. Previously, when you and I were talking about this, that so many kids aren't vaccinated yet. You feel like that's playing a role, too, that, you know, parents are that much more hesitant to put them in theaters, you know, with other kids or... Yes, and I've I've seen a lot of parents talking about that mm -hmm. on Twitter. You know, Jim, I'm keeping an eye on, on that Delta variant. I'm, <laughs> I'm I've got my eyes on it. I don't want any part of it. <laughs> no, I, I, I get but that. I mean, I these do. are these are real things that that we have to worry about. So fair, you know, fair. it's um, it's real. I saw today earlier this morning on the mm -hmm. one of the morning shows that that Florida, mm -hmm. which is just smack dab with with children and families, mm -hmm. has a higher death per day death toll than they did at the height of the pandemic. And it's Ooh. largely to do with this variant. So what? Oof. I, and you know, Disney fun. world and universal studios are there. So, I mean, it, it's <sighs> just, it's crazy. I, I don't really know what, what the vibe is out oh, there right. in the world today, but there there's that. Oh, so, yeah. well, hopefully the Adams family and uh, hotel Transylvania, they're both hitting theaters October 1st. Hopefully later that month, folks will still be in a mood to see an animated feature because that's when Ron Gun Ron's Gone Wrong drops, which we just got a trailer for that last week. And I really enjoyed that. In fact, I, I think you and I were talking about how I definitely got a Mitchell's versus the machine vibe off of this thing. And that's a compliment. Yeah. That level of fun, that level of energy. But yeah, that's going out theatrically. Yeah, it played that trailer played very well before Luca yesterday, Jim. So kids were into that little robot. Let me tell you. So if we jump ahead a month from that, we we're gonna if we go over to Netflix, we get Robin Robin, which is Ardman. Is this the, the first Ardman project for Netflix? Uh, the holiday special. Well, uh, Netflix purchased the second Shaun the Sheep movie, um, which right. was on last year, which. That's Which right. was wonderful. Okay. But it's part of a larger overall deal that includes the sequel to Chicken Run, um, which will be out, I think, next year or the year after. So can't wait. Very exciting. Wait. I love when Ardman has a stable home. Mm -hmm. I don't want I don't want any of this Katzenberg telling him to not be British mm -hmm. stuff. You know what I mean, Jim? You do such wonderful detective work when it comes to films that don't quite make it out the gate. And at some point you have to drill down into tortoise and the hare. I heard so many stories about how that was going to be sort of a faux sports documentary. Didn't that have like Michael Caine as the rabbit? Yeah, it got very far along in production, I believe, right? Yeah. I remember because of the whole notion of it, it was a documentary. They had the elderly versions of the characters that would then look back to the younger versions of the character and, you know, this whole conceit of grainy, like, television footage and really sounded like there was a great film in there. And 
the fact they did all that work. And as you said, Katzenberg's about to look at it and it's like, eh, this is, this is too British. This is too sporty. You've got to change this. And it's like, oh. Speaking, though, again, with Drew's amazing eagle eye for, for crazy detail, can you tell folks about what you, you just observed? And again, you, you were the only one who, who seemed to be talking about this in the opening credits of Spidey and his amazing friends, the new Marvel-produced series for Disney Junior that drops on August, August uh, 6th. Yeah, so I was, I was watching this intro. There's a new song. Mm-hmm. I believe it's by somebody from Fallout Boy or something. I believe something so, Something along yeah, those lines. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm watching this, you know, very colorful, cute intro, and it's got all, you know, all your favorite Spider-Man characters, and Miles Morales is in there, and Gwen Stacy, and mm-hmm. then I notice that there are l- cute little animated versions of the Spider-Bots from Web Slingers of Spider-Man Adventure that just opened at Avengers Campus. So yeah. uh, those little robots are going to be canon, and as you astutely pointed out, they're going to be sold to young children, right? Well, no, that's it exactly. That I'm not entirely sure of the configuration here. I don't think I don't think you actually exit through the gift shop, but there is a gift shop there in the vicinity of Web Slingers called Web Suppliers, and in this shop you can purchase your very own a spider bot for seventy nine dollars and ninety nine cents. Which, to be fair is cheaper than the idea that inspired this and is that you make your own droid at the droid depot back in galaxy's edge this is what the consumer product side of disney has become it was in 2018 that disney consumer products and disney parks merged into one division disney parks products and experiences jim it has a new day it has a new title every day we well both know this <laughs> but but yeah the whole notion that what disney is doing you know on television should be supporting the parks and in turn you know, the fact that let's make this an element of the the show that two to seven year olds are watching it would be kind of hypocritical to go after disney for putting the spider bot in the title sequence of you know spidey and his amazing friends when i remember the disney store chain launched March 28th, 1987 at the Glendale Galleria. And the absolute height of the Disney store chain came in the summer of 1997. That's when there were 749 of these in malls all over America. Wow. And this, as uh, Drew will tell you, was also the summer that Hercules came out and underperformed at the box office, but the Disney stores everywhere were filled with Hercules merch, which did not move. And the company going into the fall of that year just was sitting with all of this, you know, Hercules merch, what do we do with this? And what are our sales per square foot? And it's like, uh, you know, we have too many of these things. And this is when they began to cut the number of Disney stores. Within a year's time, 49 of them were gone. And I want to say by 2004, they were down to 331 in the States. And, And at that point, Disney turned around and sold them to a children's place and basically left it to this outside partner to sort of get the Disney stores down to a point where they were even more affordable, manageable. And then, then Disney kind of came in behind them in 2008. It's like, okay, we'll buy them back now. 
that's when they developed the global neighborhood version of the store. Do, do you remember these with the giant pink castle in the middle? Yes. Was that the imagination store? There you go. There you concept? go. Wasn't okay. That? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what ends up happening, of course, is that they developed this brand new pink princess castle, dead center of the store, giant icon. And then in August of 2009, Disney buys Marvel. The people who worked on the Disney store side of things never quite recovered from that because it was just sort of like, great, lovely pink castle. Where do we put the Hulk? Right. Then they did the next redesign of the stores that was more modeled after the Apple store. And that was on the heel of the Lucasfilm purchase in 2013. Yeah, I went and visited the first test Mm -hmm. uh, remodel of that, which was in the Northridge Mm -hmm. Mall. And they were already, you know, it was the very first one, but they were beaming in the uh, afternoon parade. That's right. The the giant screen in the store and all this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So after the past 15, 16 months of the pandemic and malls shuttering, and we know from the stories about UPS and the U.S. postal system being overwhelmed by the number of packages that the way people shop changed do you think that's what's playing into this closure or is it are there other factors involved here or well i mean i think that a lot of it has to do with the licensing disney has been doing to Um, stores like box lunch mm -hmm. and hot topic which produce way more interesting content and way more kind of high-end stuff than Mm -hmm. the disney store has which is the same kind of like five pieces of crap that you'll find at the parks and at the target store, which has a, might have a Disney store built into it. And yes, you remember that whole thing. Yeah. 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 And and in fact, I live up here in the Northeast and I think there is one of those target stores somewhere in upstate New York, but the, the bulk of the, Targets that had the Disney stores built into them uh, are in the Sun Belt, which I guess, again, given the proximity of the Disney parks, makes sense. But, oh, uh, we said we were going to mention some of the early concepts. Uh, this is a uh, Disneyland line from March of 1987, and there's a quote in the story here that, and again, the Imagineers were very, very heavily involved in the development of first Disney store. So, When we came up with the design concept, this is Dave Barron from Imaginary Talking. We had about a dozen different ideas uh, just trying to get a feel for the store. We had a Disneyland theme, a Disney on Parade theme, a mouse factory. We got to the studio type concept, which we really liked and we pursued that. This store could be the place where you first got introduced to characters from the new film. I mean, it really was, you know, for those of us who couldn't necessarily get down to the parks every year. It was a nice place to go to get your fix. And in fact, I remember the summer that Roger Rabbit came out, that the way they got you to come back to the store is like, oh, we'll have a new Roger Rabbit pin next week, which will give away to you if you buy $10 worth of stuff. And a lot of us idiots went back, you know, like six weeks in a row to get the full set of Roger Rabbit pins, so... And what became of these Roger Rabbit pins today, Jim? That's my question. I think they're in the basement with my Darkwing Duck toys, which I think that's what I actually bought to get the the Roger Rabbit pins. But anyway, makes me sad, Drew. 
I need something to cheer me up. So if I go over right now and start listening to to Light the Fuse, what sort of amazing show business stories am I going to learn in, about this time? This week, uh, you know, shortly after this episode is going to post, we're going to post the first part of our Brian De Palma uh, interview, Finally. which is very much worth it. Mm-hmm. It's worth the wait, Jim. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and uh, so that's going to be for two weeks. And we're dipping back into some Light the Wick stuff. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to actually get Lauren Balf, who did the music for Fallout and who's doing the music for 7 and 8, uh, back for a little... Uh, appearance because he is doing the music for Marvel Studios Black Widow. So that could be kind of fun. Um, So stay tuned to see if we actually get Lauren. Hopefully we do. But that's that's where I'm at. After you finish listening to the Light Diffuse, if you want to come over here, we got a couple of podcasts too. We got Disney Dish with Len Testo. We got Marvel Us Disney that I do with Aaron Adams. We also have Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse and um, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to our Apple podcast and rate and uh, review fine tuning, that would be incredibly helpful. Uh, what would also be helpful if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe to the show, that would be killer too. If people are looking for you on Twitter, how can they find you, Drew? They can find me at Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media and on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. So that's going to do it. For this week, folks, I'm going <laughs> to now wrap up and finally go watch Rick and Morty and Tuca and Birdie, and, and we'll be back soon.